Welcome to Saving the Game. This is bonus episode 7, Collectible Card Games. Recorded Thursday, July 23rd of 2015, with your hosts, Grant and Peter. Welcome to Saving the Game, I'm Grant. And I'm Peter. And we are doing a bonus episode tonight, because I am beat. <laughs> That's a, really what it comes down to. Hey, it happens all the time, and we didn't want to leave the feed vacant, so... Yeah, exactly. No, we uh, we had kind of a, a complex topic that we wanted to talk about, and we've got some really cool guest hosts that we're getting scheduled coming up very soon. I think it's the one after this, am I right? I think so. And we've also got some other projects lined up that we can't really talk about yet that you guys will like, so... Yeah, so, you know, it, it's we've got good stuff coming, but it has been a week, and... I'm just, ugh, I'm dead. Yeah, I, what what happened? It sounds like you, on a scale of one to apocalypse, this is maybe a seven? No, it's <laughs> it's not that bad. That's the thing. Like, there's not been any one big, terrible thing. You know, my wife is not feeling great, so I've been on toddler duty. Okay. And toddler duty has gone from, you know, this wonderful little girl who loves her daddy and, you know, is all about giving me the biggest hugs and all that sort of stuff to a little girl who wakes me up at 630 in the morning and then fights with us all day because she's hit that age finally where she wants to assert her independence, you know, as only a three-year-old can or near three-year-old. <laughs> right. We've been fighting with this little girl who doesn't get how things are actually supposed to work just yet. And she's getting there. Like, she's making huge leaps and bounds. But that's been happening. And This then, is what happens when two smart people have a kid. They're precocious and want to do things. No, listen, she's not even three, and Chrissy's done a good job teaching her subtraction so far. She's nice. Doing, yeah, like, letters, we're not there yet. She doesn't want to learn her letters. That's the thing. Like, she doesn't want to do things. There's no way to get her to do it. Uh, apparently Chrissy was also extremely stubborn as a small child. I certainly wasn't. I'm sure I was perfect, right? Oh, I, obviously. obviously. Yeah, I, I was a paragon of virtue as a kid. Said nobody truthfully ever. Right, so. exactly. But she loves numbers. Okay, great. She's a smart kid, but oh boy, is she stubborn. Anyway, so <laughs> I have a little that. engineer. Just yeah. wait until she, you know, gets a little older and starts figuring out how stuff works. Yeah, uh, I've had that. The episode right before this one with Mike Perna was an awesome episode. We had a great time with it. Um, but it ended up being about 80 or 85 minutes of raw audio, and we normally have 55 to 60 minutes of raw audio for an episode. So not quite twice, but close. Uh, no, only about... So like an extra half again, then. Not, not even that, but it is a lot more than 40 usual, and it is a, a third yeah. track, and that always complicates things. <laughs> I'm not mathing well tonight. No, that's all right. So I've just, I've been buckling down on that, staying up late, feeling kind of bleh. And then, oh, the most ridiculous things have happened at work. Oh my goodness. <laughs> okay. All right, so I'm pretty sure I can tell this on the air. We had a really bad storm this past weekend that hit downtown Greenville. For new listeners who are listening to this episode for the first time, uh, first, welcome to Saving the Game. Second, you should probably listen to a different episode first. The last one would be a good place to start, Yeah, the actually. last one's a great one, yeah, because we had Mike Byrne on, and he's an awesome guest. But we had this terrible storm hit Greenville, South Carolina, and 
it knocked out power for lots of people in downtown, which is kind of unusual. The river, you know, was running really high, and it screwed up our office pretty badly. Uh, it screwed up how? Did you get flooding? Did it just mess with the electrical? I'm getting there. All okay. Right. <laughs> so we own, right, I say we, my boss owns the building the company is in, which is this historic building downtown. It actually used to be a Model T dealership in Greenville, South Carolina. I've seen pictures of this place, by the way. It's a very cool building. Yeah, it looks great. And downtown Greenville is just astonishing. It's one of the prettiest small to mid-sized towns out there. He likes to remind me of this about once every week. He's been trying to get me to move down by him since we've known each other. Yeah, not just you, trust me, but yeah. yeah. Anyway, so it's a three-story building. Like all downtowns, it's these connected buildings, right? So everything is kind of the, at the same height. Well, the guy who originally owned these buildings, or who he bought the building from, uh, he owned kind of a, a section of downtown, because these buildings were kind of sitting idle, right? Okay. Uh, because they were old, like they had the original wood floors in and all this other stuff, and... They were historic and hard to renovate and all this sort of stuff. So he was just kind of sitting on them and literally living on them because he'd built a penthouse on top of one of the buildings. That's kind of cool. It's really cool. And it turns out my mom knows this guy. She's done some work with him. He's been active in the art scene in Greenville. He's a, apparently a fascinating guy. Okay, this is all pretty cool so far. Yeah, but he's got this penthouse up there. He's got this lovely garden up on top, kind of a planter garden. And what happened was in the middle of this storm, the storm was so powerful, it blew a hundred pound statue down onto our roof and cracked the roof. Whoa. Yeah. So my office and like my whole end of the building flooded on the third floor. Right. Because you've got all this water standing on the roof. So as soon as you get a crack, it all comes flowing in. It all comes down, runs down these exposed rafters in this historic building and is dripping all over all of the desks at the back end of this building. Ugh. Uh, literally, there was an inch of water in front of my office on the third floor that was only being kept off the second floor by carpet squares, the glue holding down the carpet squares, a sheet of plywood, and exposed rafters. Wow. It all goes down to the second floor and, you know, ruins the carpet and everything. So... Well, and you don't work for a company that does, you know, say plastic products or something, so water is bad. Yeah, it turns out water is really bad when you've got two or three computers and, you know, big power supply units and backup units sitting on office floors. Yeah, I, I did notice, like, the underside of my VMware host was wet. That's not a good thing. Yeah, we, we didn't have any water actually get into machines except for a old dead machine that I had sitting open in my office, that one actually had about an inch of water in the case. Oof, if it wasn't dead before, it sure is now. Uh, yeah, tell me about it. So the long and short of it is, we've all had to evacuate and be spread around the building in, like, weird places, other people's offices, just scattered all over. Uh, one guy's working out of a storage room. So you guys are workplace refugees in your own office, basically. Right. And the other fun thing is we've had industrial, you know, water damage repair guys in. So all the carpet up there is torn up. Okay, fine, whatever. And six industrial fans are going full bore, plus a couple of dehumidifiers, all the time. I'm sure that's nice and quiet. 
it sounds like that 70s Killer Bees movie. <laughs> Just constant buzzing. And the place where they put me, the buzzing and vibration from all those fans is causing the, one of those little weird resonances through the floor. Okay. And one of the light fixtures vibrates on a regular basis, kind of a pulsing vibration. So it's kind of flashing and strobing? Uh, no, thankfully it's not doing that, but there's just, just, zzz, zzz, zzz. it's incredibly annoying. <laughs> I told you about um what I had to deal with from like, well, the, the transformer in my back room that was loud for years. Yes. Yeah. Uh, listeners, I don't think I've ever told this story on the air, but um, transformers, when they start getting old, uh, not necessarily failing, mind you, and this is important. They can get really, really loud. And this is a transformer like the size of a refrigerator. For the longest time, it was several years before we were finally able to get this fixed when uh, one of the regional VPs came through and couldn't stand the noise in the back room. This thing was buzzing so loudly that if somebody was standing 20 feet away from me back in the receiving room, I couldn't hear them unless they shouted. Ugh. And this thing went on 24-7, 365 for, I think, three or four years before we finally got it fixed. The new one in there still buzzes a little bit, but it's just more of this quiet hum, and with carts parked in front of it, you can't even hear it unless you're specifically listening. So the day when they fixed that was a major upgrade for me, but I know all about obnoxious buzzing noises at work, and they are, yeah. in fact, the worst. Yeah, and, you know, this is not the worst thing that has ever happened in a workplace. Certainly not even the worst thing that's ever happened in my workplace. But it's one of those things where it's weird extra stress. And maybe most annoyingly, it's the only thing anybody off in the office talks about. And we all kind of talked about it enough day one, you know? Yeah. And it's just like, oh, stop talking about it, guys. I get it. Yes, there's loud buzzing noises by your office and you hate it because you're software engineers. And a dark, silent tomb is about right. I get it. But why aren't people just telecommuting or something? Because my boss really wants everybody to stay in the office. Well, fair enough. It's just how he his his does company his things. rules. So. Yeah, no, I threw that out there first thing because all the stuff I do as a support person is all hosted by third party services. There's very little that actually has to be done in the office. I can forward the phone to my cell phone and I'm good. But. I suppose there is something to be said for being able to walk down the hall and knock on somebody's door if you need to talk to them instead There's of having to call them. There's a lot to be said them. about it, and that's the big thing, because we, one of the things that we try and do is collaborate, right? You don't want people just going off doing things on their own. You don't want people not saying, hey, there is a problem that needs to be addressed, so on and so forth. So, Okay, so you had a storm story. I had one from this past weekend, too, that I might as well share since we've got a, a bonus Do episode it. going. So, as I may or may not have mentioned on the podcast, my wife makes her living as a self-employed crafter. She does um, fabric accessories mostly for, actually pretty much exclusively for other women. Um, purses, makeup bags, uh, eyeglass cases, that sort of thing. Really good quality stuff. I'm very proud of her level of craftsmanship and mm -hmm. kind of oh, the, Chrissy the, loves the bag she got from her. Yeah, I'm glad to hear it. Um, so at any rate, one of the ways that she sells this is she does outdoor craft shows kind of spring through fall. And we were at one of those this past weekend and a storm blew up faster than we could get out of the way of it. A lot of the time this is okay. You know, the, the, we've actually gotten rained out of every outdoor show that we've done this year. Just, it's been an unusually rainy spring and summer. And uh, most of the time, 
the organizers are on top of this. They'll put out a warning before the storm arrives. Hey, start packing up. Get yourself out of here. You know, we're going to have heavy rain come through. Well, Mm -hmm. the organizers of this particular show couldn't be bothered. So everybody is scrambling to get stuff packed up in front of this thunderstorm. And the the good news is everybody uses these pop-up tents, the the, um, easy up. They're they're a 10 by 10 tent with a a metal collapsible frame. You just pull them out of the bag and expand them, and then you can lock everything in place. They're nice. Yeah, like the standard thing you use for tailgating or uh, going out to fairs and craft shows like this. Yeah. Right. So at least you've got some portable shelter with you. So the the parking lot for this show is about three blocks away. So I'm going back and forth carrying components and stuff. She comes with me on the last trip. And right as we get to the car, the sky just opens up and it just starts pouring. We real quick throw the stuff that we had in the back, jump in the car, drove back around to kind of an, a rear area behind where the park was and sprinted across the lawn to get back to the tent, getting soaked the whole way. Got uh-huh. everything zipped up, got the tent dropped down, which was a good thing because some other people had theirs pretty severely damaged by the wind. Uh-huh. But by the time we got packed up, we were both totally soaked. I mean, I found some dry patches about the size of a quarter on the tops of my socks. Every other article of clothing I wore was just totally soaked through. And then on the way home, we got we had to take a long, circuitous way around because we kept finding fallen trees blocking the road. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that was that was not a good time. So, <laughs> it must just be a bad week for storms and saving the game like. hosts, I guess. All right, so we do have a topic to get to, but I, I got to ask you first, what's the worst slash craziest thing that's ever happened to you at, at work? And I don't mean like, you know, someone coming in and doing something terrible. I mean, just like the weirdest little disaster kind of thing that's ever struck that you can talk about. At work? Yeah. Oh, boy. Um, honestly, the, that transformer that just started buzzing loudly and kept at it uh-huh. for several years is, is one of the top contenders. And the thing is, it was like, I left on, you know, it, it was in the middle of the week that it started too. So it was like, I left on a Wednesday and it was just, mm, I came back on Thursday morning and it was, and it was just like, what in the world? Yeah. I, I really think the buzzing transformer is probably... Probably the the weirdest one that I can talk about. There's been some bizarre stuff with customers and things, but uh, right, obviously can't. Yeah, go can't really talk go. About um, that. all I can say about that is there's like blogs and groups and stuff around about weird things that happen in bookstores. Go read some of those. <laughs> Fair enough. The weirdest thing that ever happened to me, I think, was one of the first jobs I worked, and I'm not going to say which one. Obviously, we had a you know sizable server room for a company that size. Okay. Somebody over the weekend drove up with a truck and cut the pipes on the air conditioning for the server room and took the AC unit. Oh, no. They stole the whole AC unit for the server room. That's not good. No, it's really not. Thankfully, somebody came in over the weekend and discover that the server room was about 110 degrees. <laughs> We're getting all these performance drops. What's going on? Yeah, like there were also, I think one of the servers had shut down because it had overheated. And most CPUs, for people who don't do computers for a living, um, the processor in your computer will shut down if it gets too hot. It has a little thermostat in there that says, oh, wait, uh, I am too hot 
things are bad because heat will damage the processor. So it shuts down and turns. And when that happens, basically the whole computer turns off uh, to try and cool things down. Incidentally, if your computer is just shutting down intermittently for no reason, grab something that pulls those temperatures and look at it. You might be overheating. And a lot of the time that can be fixed by just blowing the dust out of the inside of your case. Yep. Easy, simple fix. But so, you know, this was happening. Somebody goes in and goes, this is terrible. So I come in Monday morning and they've got a couple of box fans going. <laughs> trying to get air from the rest of the office into the server room, you know, and trying to set up some sort of airflow. Like there's a domino sequence of fans trying to move cold air from the doorway and like curve it around in front of the servers because servers, um, basically they're all oriented one direction in part so that you suck in cold air from one direction and you have a cold and hot side and the hot air is dealt with kind of all in one place. And so we've got this weird, you know, remember the old Windows game where you were setting up pipes, you know, very quickly trying to get water or yeah, some sort of liquid. Yeah, like a pipe dream or whatever they call a pipe it. Pipe dream, yeah. yeah, something like that. Yeah, kind of like doing a pipe dream number with box fans for cold air. Oh, boy. <laughs> it was it was ridiculous. That was probably the weirdest thing that I can talk about. It was it was nuts. You know what? Actually, uh, I can. I was thinking just my current job. If I can go all the way back into my working history, I can do better than that. Shoot. So my very first full, well, uh, my very first real job where I wasn't just a paper boy or something like that was I was a bagger for a supermarket in town. We had this one particular eccentric older customer who wanted everything in two paper bags and then a plastic bag around the outside of the paper bag and would make all of these other insane requests and stuff. Mm -hmm. So after a while of dealing with this person, they eventually created this fictional employee named Floyd. And Floyd would get paged to whichever part of the store that this particularly troublesome customer was in so that anybody who was there could just run and hide. Because they they would they would just trap employees and just barrage them with insane requests and would never actually be satisfied and never really seem to actually want anything sane. And mm -hmm. since even people who are really a little out there need to eat, it's not like we can bar them from the store. Of course. But at the same time, you don't want this person eating up all of these employee resources either so this person would wander around the store and you'd you just occasionally hear like this different voice page floyd to floyd to frozen foods floyd to produce and it's just like wow floyd's really getting around today so that <laughs> was probably the weirdest one that i ever had mm. <laughs> wonderful world of grocery retail all right so we did have a topic and we're gonna play we don't even have an outline for this guys which uh, is which is really weird for us so yeah so i've been getting back into hearthstone a bit and Peter's got a new set of magic that he's all excited about. And we kind of figured, you know what, let's talk about collectible card games for a bit. Yeah, because we both play them in one form or another. Yeah, we do. And we all have a history with them. And you know what? They're pretty good. Yeah, there's a lot of jokes out there about how much they suck you in and that sort of thing. But really, part of that exists because on the, on the core of it, these are really good games. They're... They're really enjoyable. They scratch some very specific itches that other types of games don't. And mm -hmm. since we're both kind of into these, we thought it might be fun 
for a bonus episode at least to talk about them a yeah. little bit. And one of the things that kind of brought this to mind too is uh, there's a new game store that just opened up pretty close to where I live, which is pretty exciting. They um, they don't really sell RPG products, but they do, of course, sell a lot of Magic the Gathering because that's the big cash cow right? for most of these game stores. And I mean, it's real small. It has like three tables. I mean, it's a, it's a very small little store, uh, but I do hope that they do well and hopefully grow and that sort of thing, because it'd be really nice to have a store like that around here. Yeah, there's one about 20 minutes or so away. Well, not even that, probably more like five to ten minutes away from my work that I mm-hmm. have been visiting that's like that that popped up recently. And yeah, like like the one that just grew up in your town, um, it focuses mostly on CCGs. They do have some D&D books there and stuff, but mm-hmm. it's pretty much a magic store with other stuff. Yeah, the thing about collectible card games is that they've really displaced a lot of RPG products in a lot of stores. In fact, I know um, Ken and Robin talk about stuff briefly hit on this in a segment. In their last episode, actually. Yeah, so by the time this drops a couple weeks ago, basically saying, you know, hey, this displaced a whole bunch of RPGs because it turns out that buying one expensive product once is not as good for a store as buying an expensive product over and over and over and over again with the nickel and diming or, you know, five and ten dollaring that Magic and other collectible card games do. <laughs> so, you know, it turns out to be really good for stores like your friendly local game store. And I I love it. I want to keep those stores in business, but it is a very different sort of business model. Yeah. And, and I got to say, one of the, re- the th- reasons that I play Hearthstone is the free-to-play aspect of Hearthstone that you really can only have in an online or digital collectible card game. Yeah, and I play one called War of Omens for pretty much the same reason. Yeah. Uh, Now, I had never heard of War of Omens until you mentioned that before the show. Tell me about that one. Uh, Okay, so this one was in one of the Humble card game bundles a little while ago. Okay. Humble Bundle ran a, a bundle of all these digital card games, and I went through and I gave them all a little bit of a try, and this particular one just grabbed me for whatever reason. And it kind of goes along the same lines as a lot of collectible card games, digital or physical. You assemble a deck, although in this one it's only, I think, about a dozen cards or so, and Mm -hmm. there's just like a kind of a rolling secondary hand along the side, and then a a supply deck that you draw from, and you buy stuff from that other thing, and it's free to play. Go, Go and check it out if you're interested. It's just called War of Omens, but One of the things that's kind of fun about that is I have not spent a penny on this thing, and I've been able to just log in and kind of slowly unlock things, and the deck that I play is from the faction called Vestipole, and it's been kind of slowly getting better over time, and that's been kind of fun. Uh, I've I've unlocked a few different cards and put them in, or the ones that I have have gotten better. One of the things in this particular one is you can upgrade the existing card selection so that it gets cheaper to purchase from the kind of the store area off to the side. So that's been kind of fun. And it feels enough different from Magic the Gathering where the problem that I ran into when I tried Hearthstone is it just really made me want to go play Magic. Mm, That's fair. And this feels different enough where it's scratching kind of a different itch to me. So Okay. Yeah, I can buy that. It's sort of like um, I'm kind of looking at the website now. I almost get a Dominion feel off of this. Yeah, it definitely feels a little bit more like Dominion than something like Magic. Interesting. Well, that's cool. I The thing I like about Hearthstone, like I said, uh, the setup for it works well. Um, for those who have not played Hearthstone, first off, if you play Hearthstone, email me at 
grant at stgcast.org and uh, we'll hook up on Hearthstone and play because I'm, while I am terrible, it's really nice playing with people. That would be fun. Adding you to my Battle.net friends list would be good. I really should finish so, unlocking the basic deck so we can do that sometime. Yeah, really should. Hearthstone has a basic set that everybody has access to, and then there's a basic set of class cards that everybody has access to. Hearthstone's based off World of Warcraft. There are a lot of World of Warcraft references to it, but of course you don't need to know anything about World of Warcraft in order to play the card game. Um, you just need to know about it in order to get some of the in-jokes. That's about it. There are nine classes drawn from World of Warcraft, that each have class-specific cards. So unlike, say, Magic the Gathering, where the, every card is kind of a a set type, but you can pick from any of them, like there's no limit on the cards you could have in your deck, they just need to work together. Well, beyond the fact that you can't have more than four in traditional formats, and then one of each in Commander, but... Right. I mean, aside from that, there are no cards other than cards that are banned in competitive play, where... You can't put them in the deck you together, can't play for instance. Them. Yeah. Right. Whereas, if I am playing a Shaman in Hearthstone, I have all the base... I can have access to all the basic cards, and I have all the Shaman cards, but I can't slip a Druid card into my deck. Hearthstone is very RNG-heavy, uh, random number generation-heavy. Basically, there's a lot of things that do random effects, and some of that is put out a random minion, which might well be a random minion created by another class's cards. So you get some funky, weird interactions like that. There's a card in my Vestipole deck called Miracle that gives you a random card, and that can be from any of the four factions, too. Right. A uh, similar kind of concept. Yep. Hearthstone does not have any sort of land system like Magic the Gathering. Basically, every turn you get an additional mana crystal up to ten. You start at one. You use your mana crystals every turn to pay for things that you're doing that turn. 30-card deck, no more uh, than two of any type unless they are legendary cards, in which case you can only have one of any card. And that's basically Hearthstone in a nutshell, except that every class, in addition to having class-specific cards, also has a hero power. The hero power is something, and again, this is one of those things that is kind of unique to a, collect a collectible card game played online, which is to say it has mechanics that are not done through cards. The hero power is something you pay two mana for once per turn, and it happens, whatever that is. Like, the mage is pay two mana, deal one damage to a creature or the opponent, or even yourself if you want to. I mean, you can hit anything. The paladin summons a little 1-1 one -one creature. They all have different effects. So that helps differentiate the classes and change strategy a little bit. That's Hearthstone in a nutshell. There are daily quests for it, and um, you can, generally speaking, earn... You could easily earn a pack a day playing casually. You know, just doing, like, six or seven games. Say, like, ten games tops to earn a pack a day between... If you were losing fairly heavily. So, you know, that's that's kind of a nice thing, because you're earning it rather than having to pay out money for it. I, I ended up using a Christmas gift card for some packs. So technically, I'm not free to play anymore, but I didn't go all out and buy, you know, hundreds or thousands of dollars of cards like you can do in pretty much any CCG, yeah. honestly. <laughs> yeah, they're all pretty much set up to not necessarily require that, but definitely have that capability. Right. And often those are the people who keep the game 
going because there are tons and tons of free-to-play players, and then there are the people who actually pay to keep the game going who drop tons of money on it. That's how every free-to-play game works online. Yeah. You know, you have your your 20% who really pays for the game, and then an 80% who enjoys the game, but isn't actually contributing to the upkeep. Or are contributing often. very small amounts. Right. They are not individually paying so much in that, that you can really count on them as dependable customers. Have you played other CCGs in the past? I'm curious. Mm, no, pretty much just uh, Hearthstone, War of Omens, and Magic. Uh, now, I've played some other deck-building type games like Dominion and um, uh, Race for the Galaxy, and I really enjoy mm -hmm. those. Race for the Galaxy in particular, it's it's funny. It's a, it is a game that I have played many, many times. I have never won once and still really enjoy. I've heard good things about Race for the Galaxy, and I've never had a chance to play the it. The reason why I think I constantly lost is the uh, the married couple that was part of the gaming group that would always bring it would play the game to unwind in the evening with each other several times a week. Oh. And so, so they just they, know Yeah, it. they were both just like... It, it was like somebody who had just learned the rules of chess going up against Gary Kasparov or Bobby Fischer. I just didn't have a chance. But the art's really good. The concept is uh, of the game of kind of expanding throughout the galaxy and stuff is really a lot of fun. It's a really nice game. It's one of those ones where if I had a local gaming group and I could count on playing it fairly often, I would probably budget some of my disposable income and pick it and the expansions for it up. Because mm -hmm. it's it's something that I would really enjoy being able to play regularly. I just can't right now. Right. I hear you. Yeah, I've played a little bit of the Legend of the Five Rings collectible card game. That was a very well-regarded game for a while. Yeah, I mean, it, it was a lot of fun. I really liked the mechanics of it. My roommates went crazy for the game and bought, I want to say, a 3,000-card pack of like used random cards on eBay. Nice. So we just get a box of cards in and we're just sorting it out. We must have gotten like 30 of some of the most common cards. <laughs> it was kind of kind of disgusting, but you know, it was just this huge box of cards and it's like, okay, we've got the cards. Now let's learn the system. Yeah. <laughs> That's kind of how it ended up going. The art in that game was incredible too. I remember uh, back the first time I was playing Magic, I would read um, Scry, I think was the name of the magazine, and they they dedicated about half to Magic and about half to other stuff. And mm -hmm. of the half that was other stuff, probably about seventy five percent was L five R. And there's some beautiful art on some of those. Oh yeah, lovely. And and the game played very well. It was a really good game. Um, almost kind of want to get back into that at some point, but you know, good luck. <laughs> well, if we actually do wind up moving down there, maybe we can, uh, who knows? So yeah, who, who knows the other game? I, I've played a few like pseudo CCGs, uh, that are like web games and things like that. But the other one that I've gotten, I've really never had a good chance to play. Like it, the box is just sitting there taunting me is Doomtown. Yeah, and Mike Perna has said some really good stuff about that one, too, so... Oh, yeah, the guys on Shut Up and Sit Down love Doomtown, and they're huge, net, uh, they're huge Netrunner fans, uh, or at least one of them is, uh, and Doomtown was, like, right up there with Netrunner, in their opinion. Doomtown is based off of Deadlands, right? Yes, it is, and that's one of the, the cool things about it, is it's a Deadlands living card game. Now, is that compatible with the old Deadlands CCG? Are they totally different things? No, or? wholly different. It's based off, like, zone control. Like, there's a geography of the game 
that you are playing out. Okay. Which is pretty cool, don't get me wrong. It is extremely complicated. It is crazy complicated. But the really cool thing about Doomtown, and this just blows my mind, is that it's based off poker hands for conflict resolution. And so every card in your deck is a thing that you can play out on the board or, you know, an effect that you can play out to do something. Right. Just like most collectible card games. But they also have a suit and playing card value. And what's great is that you don't have to have a legal number of the same suit and card. So you can, for instance, have four aces of spades and that's just a really good hand. You could have 15 aces of spades in your deck. It's fine. But what you're doing in conflict resolution is you're trying to assemble a poker hand and it's based off of your dudes, because of course they're called dudes. Of course they're called dudes. It's it's weird West stuff. Yeah, what else would they be called? Yeah, when they get into a shootout, you draw poker hands and you get more cards, maybe, than your standard like five card poker hand. And then based on other attributes of the guys involved in the shootout, you can put some down and draw some more cards. Okay. And you're trying to assemble a five-card poker hand out of that. And the difference between poker hand ranks is how much damage one side or the other does. Like, I can attack you, and if I get a terrible poker hand and you get a really good poker hand, I'll take all the damage. Interesting. But here's the thing. You can play a cheating hand, but there are a lot of effects in the game that trigger when somebody cheats. Okay, so if you have if you have like the kind of poker hand that couldn't exist from a real 52 card deck, then this will ding you somehow. Right. And so you have to sit there and go, does he have something that will trigger or okay, maybe I can lure him out to use it with like a, a something I don't care about and try and, you know, boot the guy, uh, boot is basically tap, uh boot the guy who has that ability so he can't use it. And then I'll do another shootout where it'll not matter as much. And I can, a poker hand where I can cheat. There's this back and forth. And often they are huge swings when you play something that basically takes advantage of your opponent cheating. Like there are only 13 possible ranks of poker hands. Right. Okay. It's a pretty narrow set of uh, differences because of course, you, you know, someone at the top, someone at the bottom, there's only what, 11 ranks in between. Right. Well, one of the, the core set effects, you know, just on a guy you can have out is if there's a cheating hand, raise your poker hand two ranks or lower theirs two ranks. That's a big swing. Yeah. Yeah, that's like a 20% swing. Yeah, it's really big. And the top level poker hands are not that common. No, royal flushes are rarer than hen's teeth. Right. Now, of course, it gets more common when you have a deck of nothing but diamonds, for instance. Right. At the same time. If you open yourself up to that, there's this huge catch-up mechanic slash ha-ha, I got you kind of mechanic. It's kind of like a magic combat trick. And that's really a lot of fun because you're sitting here, like, often you may have a great hand and you're sweating trying to determine if you play a really good cheating hand or a kind of bad legal hand, which one of those will actually be best. So anyway, that's some of the stuff that's awesome in Doomtown. Like, there's this huge back and forth, but it's really fiddly. Like, there's actual money in this collectible card game where you're, like, handing out nuggets of currency and that sort of thing. It's it's very complicated. Huh. I will say it's maybe more complicated, or at least has more fiddly moving parts than Magic does. And Magic is notorious 
for its exception-based design that is incredibly complex. Yeah, no kidding. To the point where there's a professional judge program out there and stuff. So, yeah, it's... Yeah. Like, it's not... There are not as many rules interactions to memorize simply because it doesn't have, what, 20 years of game to learn? 22, I think. I think 1993 was when Magic came out, and it's 2015. So, and it was right yeah. around now, too. It's Gen Con. So... But, like, there's just a lot of stuff happening, and it's it's pretty complex. Anyway, so I, I kind of went off on a, a Doomtown tangent slash torrent of joy because... Well, I'm, I'm kind of glad you did because I've been wanting to hear about it in a little more detail, so... Oh, it's great. Now, let me ask you something. Do you do organized play of Magic? No, I do not. Um, I, okay. I... <laughs> I am not good enough to be competitive. I don't have the budget to be competitive, and I have no illusions about either one of those things. Okay, well, I'm not talking about like tournaments necessarily, but like, do you do Friday nope. Night Magic? Kind I've of never stuff? even done a pre-release. Okay. Although I might break that for the Rise of the Eldrazi set that's coming out this fall because that looks pretty cool. Oh, are they going back to Eldrazi stuff? Yeah, they're stuff? going back to Zendikar. It's going to be the oh, the okay. October set or September or whenever it is that it releases. I really wish I hadn't given all my magic cards away. I wish I hadn't sold a bunch of mine. Um, I used to have some stuff that, if I still had it now, would be worth hundreds and hundreds of dollars. I had, I think, two Forces of Will and a Gaia's Cradle. I can't remember a lot of what I had. I I had, like, a Lord of the Pit. I had a couple Sarah Angels, and Sarah Angels look like nothing these days. Yeah, all of those you could replace pretty easily. Yeah, um, Necropotence. That'd probably be worth a few bucks. It was interesting. I went digging through um, some of the old boxes that I had around, and I found some mm -hmm. some stuff that I hadn't sold off. And I had a couple copies of um, Natural Order, which I learned was thirty bucks. Traded one of those in uh, at Fear the Con because I really only need one. I play Commander mostly, which is a singleton format, so I can only have one per deck anyway. I've got a Time Spiral. I've got a couple of other kind of interesting things from from back then. And the other thing that I found that's kind of interesting is uh, on Puka Trade, which I would recommend as something fun to do if you're into uh, magic, is there were a bunch of these old uh, Urza lands from back in the day where they generate a certain amount of mana unless you get all three of them out, in which case they generate a lot more. I love those lands. They were amazing. Yeah, well, they were really super easy to come by for a while. They were commons in a couple of the sets yeah. back when I first started playing. Well, they haven't been reprinted for a long time, so they're worth like a dollar a card. And I have a huge stack of them here. So I've sent a few of them out, and I've got some other stuff on the way because of that. So that's kind of cool. Nice. I had a whole bunch of cards. I gave them away to a friend of mine, and then we got back into the hobby, and I should actually... We have some cards sitting around in our closet, my wife and I do, because, you know, we, we love magic. We actually did a ton of magic on camping trips. Oh, yeah? Yeah. My scout troop was pretty big into it, and basically we'd pack up a couple of packs each, and we'd bring them out, you know, to our week-long summer Boy Scout camp or, or that sort of thing, because obviously you've got a deck of cards, and we played plenty of, you know, hearts and spades and poker and that sort of thing, but sometimes you just want to play magic, and... That worked out pretty well. Yeah, it's lightweight. If you've got if you've got a group that can kind of keep track of what they had, you can swap stuff around and play different strategies and stuff. Yeah, and exactly. And I, I want to talk about swapping it around. That's one of the things that I really miss about Magic that you can't do with online collectible card games. For all the advantages that I think Hearthstone has, for me at least, I mean, aside from the fact that I can play it on my computer or on my phone, the ability to just say, here are a bunch of cards 
let's do crazy things with them and invent our own formats is something that you cannot do in an online game. Yeah, and I mean, it's it's also you can't do like what we did at Fear the Con where I had three EDH decks with me and you and I sat down at the table and then Tyler came and joined us and was like, here, set one in front of each person yeah. and off you go. You can't play around with the format and invent ways of getting people to play without either a really sandboxy system that, of course, most online games don't want to create because that's work and buggy and potentially open for abuse, or physical playing elements that you get to play right. with. I do miss that. Well, there that. is something nice about the actual physical cards, just kind of the tactility of it all oh, and stuff. they feel great. The smell yeah. of that cardboard just brings back memories. It's like, oh, this is great. Now, shuffling your giant, you know, 100-card deck that's all in card protectors, yeah. awful. That was yeah, the that's worst. that's no fun at all. I'm just going to tell you right now, <laughs> that was terrible. Yeah, yeah that's, that's the problem with Commander is it's 100-card singleton, so it's like, and they're all in sleeves. So it's like, okay, well, here's something that's three times as thick as it would normally be, and it's also slippery. Now shuffle that. Yeah. It was disgusting. Yeah. <laughs> just, uh, CCGs are good. Obviously, they're a money sink because you you can stop collecting at any point, but then when you get back into it... You wish you hadn't. Yeah. Yeah, it's going to be a different game. Uh, I was watching a video where a Hearthstone professional was talking about some cards that are coming out soon. Uh, they're doing another release soonish. It looks cool. Okay. And he said something that was pretty interesting. And I think this is... Uh, obviously, this is applicable to all collectible card games that don't expire cards or limit formats in some way. Every time a new set of cards is released for a collectible card game, decks get faster and in many ways less interactive because you only have so many cards to put into a deck and you want you have to limit those to the most efficient cards or the most efficient combos. Every time there's a new set released, there are there's a new set of the most efficient cards. And the metagame changes, obviously, as new cards come out, but it's always a little faster and a little faster and a little faster. I see this with magic, with, like, vintage or legacy formats. Oh, yeah, you look at some of those things. With... If the game is not over by turn three, something's gone wrong. Yeah. Because it's who draws into their combo first using all their draw tools and then plays their unbeatable combo. They're unbeatable, non-interactive Well, there's combo. things like Cheerios and Oops All Spells and stuff like that that'll just... You can win the game potentially on turn one or two with some of those decks. It's just like, holy cow. Oh, yeah. Hearthstone has, you know, uh, one class, the Hunter, that is all kind of about just, you know, racing you down damage-wise. If they haven't killed you by turn six, they've lost because they've lost board control. They've run out of gas at that point, huh? They've run out of gas. Hearthstone has some structural issues with the ladder that make playing that very, very rewarding, even if you lose a lot, because it is less actual time to play like three games of a really fast, non-interactive deck than a slower control style, you know, and get one game in. Hmm. The Hearthstone community talks about that a lot, but it is interesting that if you leave a game and come back for a while, you're going to be at a disadvantage, and that kind of creates a mental barrier in a lot of ways, unless the format has some method of either ranking people so that, you know, you have people who don't have all the awesome cards in one set and people who do have them in another set, or 
expiring cards uh, over time, and that's kind of what Magic does. You know, they have limited formats where it's just, this is just play in this one block. You don't have to own any cards previously. Just come in and play this stuff, and yeah, it's cool. Yeah, uh, that's standard is, is pretty much that. Yeah, well, standard or even just limited where it's... Whatever you got from the packs you opened tonight, yeah. Right. I can go in, pay for three booster packs, not have touched Magic in ten years... And be on equal footing with everybody else who came in and did the same thing that night. Right. They know more about the game as it's played in that set, probably, but I don't have any card disadvantage. Or at least not none that's not created by your own drafting process. Exactly. It is an interesting thing to consider. You know, it's certainly not a problem that role-playing games have. Role-playing games just don't expire. So, oftentimes they are improved on to the point where you don't want to play the old one. Right. But you can leave the old one on your shelf, pull it down 20 years later, and it'll still play. Yeah. So... I don't know. It's it's an interesting contrast. Got anything else you want to mention about CCGs? No, not really. Other than maybe I should go into my closet and see what I actually have. Yeah, that might not be a bad idea. Um, <laughs> I'm really curious. Yeah, dig them out and start looking stuff up on TCG Player. Yeah, or get back into it. I will say, my wife mentioned, you know, if you wanted to get back into Magic, that I'd be okay with it. You know, I was like, ah, don't tempt me. Well, did just she play with me. you? You said we, or was that just your... We both love the game. Uh, she didn't get into it as heavily as I did because I was a nerd surrounded by nerds who played it in middle school. Same and for me, but high school. I had that opportunity, you know, especially with a Boy Scout troop of 60 people. It was a huge troop, 10 or 15 of whom played Magic. She got into it, I don't even know when, but she had a couple of decks, but she didn't have as many sets as I did. So, But she loves the game. In fact, I think we played... Um, uh, Duel of the Planeswalkers with you, didn't we? Mm, I don't know that you and I have ever actually played together. I know we've both talked about having it, but... Chrissy and I played with a couple of booters online for a little bit. Not like Magic Online, yeah, but... Yeah, the Duels of the Planeswalkers that comes out on Steam. Yeah, and that that was fun. We love it because it's yeah. Magic, but there you go. All right, I think we should wrap it up here. I mean, this has been kind of a rambly bonus episode, and I apologize, but I'm glad we're not trying to do something serious. We'll do some pretty good episodes the next two episodes, so I'm, I'm excited about that. Yeah, we've got some interesting stuff planned for the future, so thanks for bearing with us while we had kind of a... We took a little bit of a mulligan, as it were, to use some TCG terminology there. All right, well, listen, we'll catch you all next week if you... Or next two weeks. If you have not done so lately... Head out to our website, stgcast.org, look at the blog posts that Peter writes every other week in between episodes. Uh, those are a lot of fun. We've gotten a lot of good conversation going on the last one you wrote. That that was great. Yeah, I've been very happy with that. And then, you know, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, follow us on Google+. And if you haven't, give us a review on iTunes. That is a huge help for us. And, you know, we don't have a ton... I can't tell you how much that helps us. It is an enormous boost every time. And I know it doesn't seem like your one review is going to do a lot. Trust me, it does a ton. So if you have a chance to review us, that would be fantastic. Yeah, those single reviews actually factor in quite a bit to a, a podcast visibility and stuff. So it's there, there's a reason why every podcast that you listen to says the same thing. Is Those reviews really do help a lot. Yeah, I, I don't care if you give us... A five-star review or, like, a three- or two-star review? If you give us a one-star review, I mean, I'll be sad, but if it's an honest review, hey, I'll take it. Yeah. Because that, that'll tell us, hey, I need to improve this thing. Every review helps boost our visibility. So, all right, well, listen, take it easy. 
We'll catch up with you guys next time with some actual topics and I think some guest hosts, unless my math is off. I think so. Yeah, that'll be awesome because we're going to get two people on at once and we've never done that before and it's going to be crazy. (laughs) Yep. All right. Take it easy and we'll catch you next time. Have a good one, folks. This podcast episode is a production of Saving the Game and may be redistributed under a Creative Commons non-commercial, non-derivative license so long as appropriate credit is given. Our music is by Ryan Humphrey. Saving the Game is syndicated through inroadsministries.com, rpgpodcasts.com, stitcher.com, and iTunes. To hear past episodes and to connect with us or our community of listeners, visit our website at savingthegamepodcast.org. God bless, and happy gaming.